this episode of The Interface, I speak with Stephen Richards, Sales and Marketing Director for Amphenol Australia. Stephen has been with Amphenol since 1998 through an acquisition of Alcatel Components. We talk about his unique sales role of expanding the audio connector business with design and manufacturing base in Australia while selling imported Amphenol products for many other markets. We talk about why Amphenol Australia's audio connectors are so well known and where the future of audio connectors are going. We talk about how taking four years to reconstruct a 57 Chevy was a sign that he is a true Amphenolian. And we talk about his Desert Island album, book, and Australian movie classic. This is The Interface. It's Monday evening for me here at five o'clock in the evening. Is it what, like Thursday mid morning for you there? Or something like that? Uh, no, Tuesday, <laughs> Tuesday. Yeah. Not quite Thursday yet. <laughs> we haven't made it to the end of the week yet. Okay. But, uh, yeah. I get, I get confused with Australia. Um, it's, that's a long ways away and I've, I've actually never been there. I want to go, but, um, I haven't been at, so, at some point. Um, I have to figure out a, a way to get there for an Amphenol trip. <laughs> yes, yes. You're not the only one. We've had many people I'm say sure. the same thing. Yeah, um, I'm sure. But thank you for doing this. Thank you for getting up early and um, and agreeing to do this today. Uh, it's, you are the first one that I've had from Amphenol Australia, so thank you very much. So if you could tell us um, what your role is with the company, just what you do in a, in a nutshell. So my, my position is the uh, sales and marketing director. And um, I'm responsible for the uh, the worldwide sales of our audio and entertainment connectors. Um, so there's basically two parts to our business. The the first part is uh, obviously we're based in Australia, and we look after the selling and the marketing of the Amphenol products mm. in Australia. Right. So we have a, we have a team of uh, BDMs based here in Australia, and we uh, we we go visiting visiting customers here and in New Zealand. And basically reselling the Amphenol Divisions products and uh, manufacturing cable assemblies. We have a small production plant here as well. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's what we do here. And then from an export perspective, we uh, we're responsible for the audio range. And um, when I started with the company, we were actually manufacturing that product here in Australia. And uh, that was one of the things that attracted me to um, working for Amphenol. By right, that time, was a company called Alcatel. Mm -hmm. And were acquired by Amphenol in 1998. So you've been with the company in whether it's Alcatel or Amphenol for well over 20 years. How much has it changed over that time? Obviously, it's a, changed lot. a lot. Yeah. Yes, it's, yeah. changed, it's changed a lot. Look, when I, I mean, what attracted me to the company first was you know going into our our factory here in Melbourne, the Alcatel factory, and uh, you know just walking through the factory, you could see the. Uh, the die casting, the, mm. the plating line, the injection molding, you know, full, full production line. And uh, we, we made the product, um, we made it, we made, you know, virtually made hundred percent of the product in, in our factory then. So that was what got me interested in, in working for the company. Mm -hmm. And um, it was worked there for about three or four years, started off in customer service, um, internal sales position. Yeah. And did that for about 12 months. And then uh, was offered the opportunity to uh, become a, uh, a salesperson or account manager, and uh, went out on the road. Could you talk about the difference between the, uh, the the reselling side of it versus the you know the the products that you manufacture for at Amphenol, the specific audio products you manufacture? What are the differences <clears throat> between trying to sell those two? 
Oh, that's an interesting question. <laughs> um, I mean, we're, we're, I think we're, we're, we're really unique in the Amphenol world that um, I, I don't think there's too many divisions that actually resell the other Amphenol products. So um, I guess it's, um, you know, the customers here want local support and service. Right. Um, we have we have the uh, we don't have the distribution network down here that that you would have in in North America, for example. Mm-hmm. Basically, it's 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 taking that range of Amphenol products and going out to the market um, and just educating people, I guess, on on what's the best the, the best connector for their for their application. So um, it's really interesting. We're part of the um, Amphenol Industrial Group (AIO). Mm-hmm. That's sort of our main focus. But uh, there's there's also a large um, military and defence. So that's also a big part of our business. Um, and of course, then we get involved in EV. We've got some EV opportunities, mm. um, battery storage opportunities. So it's really great. I mean, it's it's really, really good to understand, you know, the product bred for Amphenol um, and the range they have. And, um, you know, we, we, we sort of got, we've got an opportunity here to, to learn about all the Amphenol products. And yeah. uh, that's, that's, we really, really, really appreciate that. And, uh, and it's very exciting and interesting. Yeah, I can see how it would be. It certainly would keep you on your toes because you have to, it opens you up to a whole different range of customers and conversations and technologies uh, because you are the the front for Amphenol for all sorts of different connectors. I know back from my product management days when you know I was at Amphenol Aerospace and having to provide product to to Australia. Um, for it to be resold into there. So I, I do remember that that part of it. I think PCD does, does something similar to what you guys do, um, you know, importing product in from Europe um, and reselling yes. it into North America. But how much have you had to learn over the years, or was it pretty much everything, for the non-audio product versus, you know, what you were so used to for, you know, 20-plus years at Alcatel and then Amphenol Australia? Yeah, Certainly. It, look, for me, I, I sort of, I started off basically in, in the, in the resale side of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, and when, when we were at Alcatel, we were selling a different, a couple of different brands. So we were sort of used to selling connectors, uh, used to selling terminal blocks and so forth. All, all of a sudden we were sort of, we went from a very small product offering to a, to a, a huge product <laughs> range. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it was even back then where I think we we're about a, a just, t- just touching up to about a $1 billion company. Mm-hmm. And um, so even then we had a very significant range. So it was um, it, because I've got an electrical background. So I'm, okay. I'm a, a, a electrical fitter by trade. And um, so you know, I've got a, a good understanding of electrical products and, and so forth. So that, I think that really helped. Yeah. But I just also wanted to touch on the audio that you mentioned as well, audio yeah. products. So that, the audio products, I sort of became more involved in the audio products around about, I was selling them locally, but from an export, export point of view, I was, I was, um, offered the position of marketing manager back in 2006. Mm-hmm. And that's when I sort of really started to take on the, the audio range. And the, um, <clears throat> the beauty of that was uh, we, we locally design and engineer, engineer that here in Australia. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we, we, you went from, you know, you know offering other Amphenol um, division products into the market to actually having a, a little bit more of a um, control on what you could develop and the, and the direction you could take the, the product in the market. Sure. So, so that was very exciting and very interesting and um, got an opportunity to travel around the world and, and start to visit customers. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that's one thing at the moment that you know, we're <laughs> really missing. Yeah, uh, yeah. Getting out getting out and talking to people and uh, understanding uh, customers' needs and requirements. So that so that was that was really great. And, um, you know, that's, that's one thing about, I guess, owning the product. And uh, right. each Amphenol division has, has their product specialty. And, um, you know, it, it's something that, 
you know, it, it's really a part of me, that those products. Obviously, working here for, you know, 26 odd years, it, it's just exciting to get out of bed every day and, and sell Amphenol products. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's stick with the audio product for just a, a bit here. Um, first of all, what are some of the newer products that you have from an audio standpoint that you're really excited about here over the next couple of years? I guess it's, I mean, the direction we're sort of heading at the moment is, is obviously, you know, you, you've got your, your, your setup there and, and you're familiar with, with some audio mm-hmm. um, technologies, I, I, I expect. But, uh, you know, we, originally it was analog audio. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know if I can, I can um, and tell you a story about the XLR. And, and Absolutely, how yep. If you've got a little bit of time for that, but it's a very interesting story. Um, back in the the, um, the 30s and 40s, obviously um, all films were were silent movies. Mm-hmm. They they had no issues about sound because they didn't have any sound. Right. And then uh, in the in the 50s, um, they decided that they were going to start introducing sound into film, and um, so that was great and you know very exciting. And um, they set everything up in a studio or on the um, the film set. And uh, then they realized that um, there was a, a, a click, 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 click sound in the background. And yeah. um, it was the cameras. So just the film canisters on the cameras were just, you know, winding away, clicking and, and making a terrible sound. So what they, what they did, the, uh, the set designers built a, a, a fantastic uh, wooden box and a soundproof box and, and then closed the camera. Yeah. So that was all good and well, but then they said, "Well, hang on, how are we going to run our power cables into the into the camera when we've got a, a box?" So they they cut a hole in the box and ran the cables in, and then someone said, "But hang on, we we we'd like to move the the camera. You know, the, yeah. this, this is very restrictive because we can't move the camera around." And um, that's basically how they developed the XLR connector. So they they came up with a connector that was um, a quick quick release, right? And they could they could latch lock it together. And it's really reasonably unique. I mean, there's not a lot of connectors in even in the Amphenol range that have a latch lock, um, simple uh, latch locking method. So, um, so that's basically how the XLR was invented. That was originally a power connector, and mm-hmm. it was a little bit larger, maybe an inch, an inch and a quarter. And then, um, you know, it, it evolved to become the XLR connector when they needed the microphone connector. So, um, so yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So we can uh, now, I think, go back to where we were when we first started this call before we even started recording. <laughs> As we're looking at each other on Zoom, uh, I have this this podcast mic on a on a on a microphone arm, and within uh, I would say a second or two of when you saw me, <laughs> you could see the back of my microphone and the XLR a plug going into the receptacle in the microphone and you immediately even on a zoom call could tell that it wasn't an amphenol plug exactly. and i knew you were going to say that and and you're not the <laughs> only one and and in fact you know the the handful of times that i've spoken with adam both in person and with uh you know on zoom calls for these he always you got to get an amphenol connector got to get the amphenol yes. audio connectors so um i had no. i had to point that out so you I, caught I, me i, I apologize yes. No problems at all. I will send you, we will enlighten you of the, 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 the direction to go and we'll send you some uh, cables and get you set up uh, correctly. Awesome. I and, love um, it. Yeah. So we'll get that done. And I mean, look, the, the XLR connector really is, is, you know, it's a famous connector. It's been around since the 50s. Right. And even even now when you see, you know, you're, you're, you're the president, for example, get up and, and for a press conference, what's on the podium? What's on the table of right. a sports, you know, interview microphones? 
and what's in the back of them? XLR connectors. So Absolutely. I think everybody knows what an XLR connector is, even if they they, they don't actually know what it means, but mm-hmm. they've, they've actually used one, you know, or seen one. Um, regarding where we're going, I mean, so what we're basically, what's happened now is we've moved from analog audio to digital audio. Yeah, right. So the, the, the industry is moving across to digital and an XLR connector um, will, will carry one channel of audio. Whereas a, an Ethernet connector, a, um, an RJ45 connector, can can carry up to around 500 bi-directional audio signals. Mm. So you can you can you can imagine the difference when you've got a mixing console and right. you can reduce it from you know 32 XLRs or 64 XLRs down to you know two two uh, RJ45 connectors. Right. So that's the direction we're heading. We're, we're um, developing uh, Ethernet style connectors in an in an audio housing, XLR style um, footprint. The other thing we're, we're finding a lot more call for now is IP65 uh, rated connectors. Mm-hmm. So more and more people, you know, getting out and about, and they want they want to they want to have a you know waterproof connector. Uh, there's a lot of it in the LED screens out in the market now for yeah. concert systems. Um, so so that that's sort of the, the direction the, that we're going at the moment. So a little bit more field ready ruggedization. Uh, you can beat them up a little bit. They're going to stay sealed. How much? Has the market shifted then from you know more of an analog connection like this to the the RJ forty five side? Is it still a ways away, or it's or it's it's rapidly moving in that direction? Yeah, uh, look, I, I think it's still a ways away. I mean, it's you know I'm hopefully you know going to be re- be able to retire <laughs> in in the next uh, next f- uh, few years. Yeah, and um, you know we've always jokingly said you know when's the XLR going to retire? When's the XLR going to finish? Sure. But, it just keeps on keeping on. Um, you know, we've got, uh, I'm, I'm sure the the, the students, uh, you know, audio students, uh, you know, graduating today are, are probably going to be the ones who move away from the XLR. Mm-hmm. But um, it's, you know, we, we speak to manufacturers, we speak to the OEMs and, and, you know, they very definitively tell us that their customers want XLR connectors on their equipment. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's, it's still, you know, trusted, uh, well-liked, and um, does the job, and and for 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 a ver- certainly a low cost connector, mm-hmm. and that's 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 another thing, Chris, that I enjoy selling about the other Amphenol divisions product, like a military product or a, <laughs> yeah. you know an EX rated connector or a fiber optic um, right. cable or connector. The 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 price um, price point is uh, you know is they're not is cheap. Significantly higher. Yeah, that's yeah. right, that's yeah. right. Whereas an XLR connector, you know, for a few dollars, and um, you know just the. I, I guess it's very, it's been interesting over the years. A lot of our customers expect this connector, the few dollar connector, to last you know for, for twenty or thirty years. And yeah. and we say, guys, you know, it's um, you know, when you when you explain to them what a military connector costs, they just they're just blown away. Yeah, they, they just they just can't understand that a connector could cost so much, and uh, you know what what they demand from from a you know from one of our XLR connectors. So it's it's fantastic. It's a fantastic connector. Yeah, I mean, it's been around forever. I mean, that's proof. Proof is in the pudding uh, and in the longevity of these connectors for sure. Audiophiles and audio engineers are definitely a unique bunch. They're very, I, they, they, they really like what they like. Um, and it's sometimes is, is very different from what you know, may be popular. For example, you know, this isn't maybe a perfect example, but people will, who really know music and audio will always swear by a good turntable with excellent speakers and putting a nice 180 gram vinyl record on there because the sound is just infinitely better than a digital audio file. I, I assume it's it's kind of the same way when you're talking about you know XLR connectors and it's just like look they work they they've always worked they always will work 
Um, we're not familiar with the Ethernet yet, and we're going to get that same type of warmth and, and comfort um, that we do with the XLR. Is, that, is it something similar to that? Look, I think it is. It, it yeah. certainly is. I mean, you know, you're, you're, you've, you've obviously heard of the term audiophile, yeah. um, which is a person who, you know, really appreciates what you, you just mentioned about the, the analog systems. And I mean, you know, I, you know, for a period there, I lived in America and uh, I, was, I, was, I lived in, in, um, out in Moorpark, in, uh, out with Amphenola Connex in, in yeah, the same LA. factory as those yeah. guys. Yeah you know, working for Amphenol back then. And, um, you know, one of our, uh, one of my neighbors had a, a $40,000 um, stereo right. in his home. Yeah. So, you know, so, so that, that's the level some people go. Yeah. And, um, you know, here I was thinking of, you know, my $500 stereo and, <laughs> and he's comparing it with his $40,000 yeah. equipment. But no, you're hundred, you're, you're really, you're, you are right there. And um, we used to sell a brand of, of German terminal blocks and um, it mm-hmm. was one of the first terminals that had a, um, a cage clamp, a quick connect. Yeah. And we're selling it against screw terminals. Uh, you know, so we we'll went out to the market and, and explaining the differences and the vibration resistance and all these things. And it was the same situation. This was back in, in the, when I first started at Alcatel. The engineers at the time, no, everything had to be a screw connection. You know, we, we, we yeah. wouldn't, you know, use the cage clamp connection. And, you know, here we are, you know, 25 years later, now the cage clamp connection, the Amphenol make it a cage clamp connection. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very well trusted and very well respected. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it's the same situation there, I think. And the same with XLR connectors that they'll always be, for me, there will always be a requirement for them. <clears throat> you know, we have yeah. had many times people coming to us and, um, and uh, discussing uh, having an Ethernet connector in the back of a microphone. Mm-hmm. The, the, obviously, the, you know, the downside of, of an Ethernet connector, an RJ45 connector, is it's, it was designed to be you know, the back of a computer. Right. Uh, it wasn't designed to be dragged around and, and, um, and mishandled and, um, and given a, you know, a thorough workover in, in all <laughs> yeah. our environments. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think that's the reason for me that XLR connectors will be around for, for a long time yet. What makes yours so good? We basically, we designed a connector back in the, um, it was the early 90s, and we called it the JAWS connector. Okay. And um, it was, had a, um, a, a cable clamp, which was um, a significantly higher retention, cable retention, than the competitor's products. If you look at the early days of XLR connectors, all they had was a grub screw. Mm, okay. So a grub screw was, was screwed down onto the cable. Yeah. And, um, and then some companies came out with a chuck-style clamp. But we came out with the JAWS clamp. And um, at the time, we, desi- we designed an IDC-type connection. But the JAWS clamp, um, I think it was about 44 kilograms of force. And oh. uh, we, had, we had a story. There was a, um, a guy in, um, in Melbourne here. He was working for the national broadcaster, the ABC. And um, apparently what happened, he was up on a, um, a lift. Uh, I think something happened with the lift and um, basically it tipped. And um, he grabbed the cable oh. and the, the Jaws cable clamp uh, broke his fall. Yeah. And um, basically he held onto that cable for dear life. And, um, and that, uh, that basically, you know, saved him, um, you know, insignificant injuries. And um, so that's, you know, it, it was, uh, it was a, um, a, you know, a very fantastic durable <laughs> cable connection. And um, this, this, this poor guy, I mean, you know, we're not saying he, he would have he died or anything, but, uh, you know, obviously, you know, it was no, didn't sustain any, any major inju- injuries. Yeah, so your, your slogan could have been, right, Amphenol Australia, audio connectors, they can save your life. 
Exactly. Something, something like that. <laughs> Probably that's not right. the best slogan to use, but yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. I mean, just to understand because there, it, it is the audio connector in the marketplace, right? You know, all concerts, like you said, anytime you see a microphone. So, you know, it's, it's good to know why Amphenols are unique, why they're better. You know, that's, that's a perfect reason why. So that's good. Yeah. So you, you said remember the jaws. Just remember the jaws. Remember jaws. Okay. <laughs> that's yeah. right. We'll just I'll just stick with that. Yeah. That's a great story. So you said you came from an electrical background. So what was your uh, university or college? Is that, did you do that like out of high school or something like that? Or yeah, we, just... we, it was basically a, a, a trade college. Okay. Um, it was um, back back then. I mean, there was there was a couple of pathways to go, and um, you know, I I, I, I I had a real interest from from a very young age in electronics, and um, I think you know maybe when I was ten or twelve years of age, my, my family uh, gave me a um, an electronics board for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, I remember those sisters, as a kid. You've got yeah, the little yeah, springs, yeah. and yep. you, you basically build a circuit. And, um, you know, I was always pulling, you know, I, I had a, I got a radio, I pulled that apart, you know, just, just anything that I got, you know, had batteries in it. Yeah, I did that to our family's gear. Atari, and then I couldn't put it back together. My parents <laughs> were a little upset with me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So I was exactly the same. Couldn't put anything back together. But, yeah. But certainly had fun pulling it apart. Oh, yeah. I was great at breaking things. Yeah. <laughs> that's all right. So, um, so that's, that was basically my interest. And then, you know, so I got an opportunity to, to do a trade, which is electrical fitting. Which is basically building switchboards. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we you'd go to college a couple of days a week, and you would um, be on the tools the other days. And um, you know, we were doing um, three phase motors and, and reversing wires, you know, to, to change the direction of motors. And back then, we were programming PLCs. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know what a PLC is, and um, programmable logic controller. Yeah. So we were programming those. So it was. Um, it was great. And, uh, you know, I was machining up products on milling machines and lathes and so forth. Oh, that's and, cool. Um, yeah. So I did that for about eight years. And, um, you know, as I said, then I, I, I got another job in as a um, selling um, uh, light guards for machinery. Okay. Uh, which is ba- basically safety, safety equipment. And I did that for a couple of years. And it, it, it was, it was, it was interesting, but, um, you know, it was, it was sort of wasn't, you know, wasn't really the direction I wanted to go. Yeah. It was sort of taking me away from the electrical side of the business. Right. And um, I, I remember seeing a, a small ad in a, in, a, in a local paper and it said, uh, looking for somebody to, um, for internal sales for selling um, uh, connectors and switches. Yeah. I thought, you know, so I applied and um, as I said, the, you know, the, the day I walked into our, 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 um, our office there in, in Moorabbin in Victoria, and uh, the minute they took me out the back, yeah, you know, I was blown away. Yeah, you know, just yeah. just the, the manufacturing of connectors. Uh, before that, I, I hadn't even thought of what a connector was. Yeah, you know, yeah, the, yeah, the last sure. thing I'd ever thought of was a connector <laughs> when I was uh, doing my trade apprenticeship and yeah. and working. We, we just we just we just you know didn't even consider connectors. Yeah, and um, but that that just blew me away. And um, you know, as I said, you know, 26 years later, I'm I'm just still very excited <laughs> yeah. to work for Amphenol. Really love it. You know, was, I've, I've met a lot of people from around the world. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's like a big family, <clears throat> as you know, Chris. It's a big family. Yeah, it is. You, know, you, you get to meet people from all around the world, different countries, um, different cultures. Um, and it's, you know, I just love it. I really do. And you got to the move, move to the U.S. for a bit. How did that come about? You were in the yeah, L.A., so, basically Los Angeles area. Yes. How, yeah, what so happened right. there? <laughs> 
So basically, we were looking, um, we had a, a guy working out of Colorado for us, and uh, he'd been with us for a couple of years, but um, because I sort of had a sort of a product management role, I guess, mm-hmm. back then, and, um, you know, they decided to send me to um, California and establish a warehouse. Okay. And um, so we, we basically had a look at, uh, you know, around different parts of um, Los Angeles, and then uh, we decided to uh, connect uh, Mike Comer, great guy, and mm-hmm. uh, gave us a, a said, look, uh, you know, we, we've got a little bit of room here in our store, and uh, we can give you a small corner in the back, <laughs> the back of our warehouse here. Yeah. And um, so, so that basically, I, I went over to set up that, and also look after the customers in um, in California. Yeah. And uh, support the sales reps. And, um, you know, visit, we did a few trade shows and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really great experience. Um, we developed a, a few, a few large customers, as you know, there's a, there's a few large, um, uh, OEMs based in, um, California. Yeah. And we also got, uh, you know, a very large film and, uh, yeah. TV industry. That's yeah, the heart. Uh, yeah. In, in Burbank. And, yeah. and that's right. So that was great. And, uh, I did that for a, a tour around about, uh, about two and a half years, I think I was, I was there. And you had your family and, um, with you too? I had my family there. My, yeah. my son started school. Yeah. Um, he's, he's now 15, just about 16. He started school there. Yeah. Um, and uh, my daughter was, was, uh, was at school there as well. And um, they came back to Australia with the American accents. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And uh, yeah. he, still, he still calls, uh, you know, the um, trash. He still calls it trash. You okay. Know, but um, for us, we call it garbage truck and he'd call it a trash truck. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, so it was funny, but uh, look, it was a very interesting thing because the, the kids sort of, you know, I guess it was difficult for them because, you know, they were just, you know, dragged out of their, their home in Australia and yeah. taken to, to America. And it was 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 amazing how quickly they adapted. Sure, uh, they sure. adapted very quickly. They uh, they picked up the American accent very quickly. Yeah, they, well, they when you're that little, yeah, different. yeah, exactly. You know, so 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 I think that was a great opportunity for them. Uh, they had um, annual passes to Disneyland, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they were very excited. Very That's excited. a prerequisite. Yeah, you got to have that <laughs> exactly. if you live there. Yeah. So exactly. overall, it was a good experience. I mean, more per- just asking from a personal standpoint that you guys liked it. it. Yeah. Oh, oh that's it, was, great. it was a fantastic experience. Yeah. I mean, uh, look, in the end, we had to come back for, you know, um, my father-in-law got uh, sick at the time, so mm-hmm. we came back. That was sort of the main reason for coming back. But it was, it was always only going to be a temporary gig. Sure. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't a full-time thing. And, but, you know, really, really, you know, appreciative of the opportunity that Amphenol gave me there. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll treasure as, as, you know, part of my career and, you um, you know, really made some really good friends there. Yeah. And, um, you know, looking forward to getting back, getting back to the U.S. one day. Uh, obviously with the, you know, the current situation, yeah, it's, yeah. it's been very difficult. So when you're not selling for Amphenol now um, and you're back in Melbourne, um, what do you like to do when you're not working? Um, well, when I got back from, from America there, I was, <laughs> I got involved in uh, motocross. Oh. Um, yeah, so my, my son raced motocross for a few years. My daughter was uh, riding as well, 
Wow, um, that's and, awesome. And, and, yeah. uh, it was great until she she broke her collarbone, actually. Oh, well, yeah, then that wouldn't be <laughs> awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she, she still complains because I didn't uh, call the ambulance and uh, take her to the hospital. Oh, you just I, said, said rub uh, dirt I, on I, it I, and get back on the bike I, and go, yeah. I basically did, and then I and, I, and she complained all, all afternoon. She was complaining. I said, come on, let's go to the hospital, and I, yeah. I threw her in the car, and, and it turned out she had a broken collarbone, so she wasn't impressed. Yeah. But um, And, and I, I got my own bike, a, a Kawasaki 250. Yeah. And um, rode that for for a while, but uh, I had a similar situation. I um I was I was up riding, and uh, the, there was a guy riding along with me. I didn't know him, but you know your competitive juices start flowing, and sure. uh, yeah. I thought, well, look, you you want to you want to take me on, mate? I'll, yeah. no, no problem at all. <laughs> We're men. That's what we do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So after after a couple of laps, and then and got to a corner, and then I dropped the bike, and Ooh. um yeah. basically what happened, I think the handlebars got me in the ribs. And um, it was very painful. And, yeah. Uh, I, you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't think I broke any ribs or anything, but I think I got some bruising. And I, I couldn't cough, couldn't laugh. You know, I, oh. I was in a very, very difficult situation. Yeah. I sort of, uh, you know, Monday morning came and staggered back into work. And uh, I thought, no, I'm, I'm getting too old for this. So I sort of uh, I, I hung up the, the, the motocross boots. And <laughs> yeah, it's enough for me. That would be an uncomfortable couple of weeks for sure. So we'll we'll wrap up here so you can get started with your day of work and and I can end mine I guess. I one, stick yeah, one, you, one one Go sorry, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Just, if I could just say one more thing which which Absolutely. back to North America. My first car you will, will never guess what my first car was. I have no idea. It was a 1957 Chevrolet 210 four-door sedan. This was in Australia. It was in Australia. Yeah. So, so, so basically, what happened is I um, got my first job and a part-time job, and uh, I saved up a bit of cash, and um, I purchased a car, which was the opposite. I hadn't pulled it apart, but somebody else had. Yeah. So I convinced my father to take me to, to look at this car, and it was basically on a trailer, and uh-huh. it was in a, in, in a thousand pieces, oh. and um, I had to. This was this was when I was. Um, Late sixteen, just about seventeen. Yeah. Just, just turning, just turning seventeen, and um, it 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 had uh, no motor or gearbox, and um, I got uh, I got it home back on the trailer. I got uh, four friends, and we lifted the the corner because the chassis was separate to the the body. Yeah, and uh, we we took took four friends to lift it and carry it into my backyard, and uh, <laughs> so wow. I basically built built a nineteen fifty seven Chevy from the ground up. How long did it take unfo- you? Took me four years. Whoa. And, um, yeah. And un- unfortunately for me, I didn't pull it apart. So I, uh, you know, I was, I was going back then we didn't have the internet. So yeah. I had to, you know, uh, mail order. So I, I purchased a, a workshop manual, which was a, like a telephone book. Yeah. And uh, basically had to put this car back together and, uh, you know, ordered a lot of parts in. Uh, there was, a, there was a guy basically here in Melbourne who imported a lot of parts for it. But uh, yeah, four years and um, it was my pride and joy. And um, yeah, no, it was a really great experience. Wow, you know, yeah, it, it's just uh, just the Amphenolian spirit, I think, where you, where you you know you, you get you get a, a thousand piece uh, jigsaw puzzle of a car, and you just assemble it, and you do what you have to do. Yeah, I'm it. I'm glad you shared that story. I mean, what a a lesson in perseverance and patience, too. Goodness, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I've ever waited four years for anything. <laughs> so having to do that, it's that's unbelievable. You must have really wanted to to uh, see that car in the road and 
and enjoy yeah. a classic. So uh, I give you a lot of credit there. Yeah, that is uh, yes. something Amphenolian about you then. If you're mm, willing um, to do that and put in that level of effort just to drive a 57 Chevy, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So Definitely. thank you for sharing that, by the way. So I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up now uh, on, on our, our typical ending here is if I take you and I put you on a desert island and say you can bring with you one album, one book, and one movie. I'll start with an album. Which album would you bring with you? Uh, it would have to be Led Zeppelin. Yeah, okay. Uh, Led Zeppelin, yeah. Uh, look, I'll, I'll probably just go for a greatest hits of Led Zeppelin. Okay. Based on their traveling circus, too, of a, of a road crew and, and concerts and tours, I'm sure they use a lot of XLR connectors. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, how about yes. a book? Uh, so a book, um, I'd have to say, uh, I'm not too sure about the book, Chris, um, war and peace. <laughs> it would certainly take up a lot of time. How about the, uh, owner's manual to a 57 Chevy? Yes. Yes. Actually, that would be a good one. Let's say that. Let's cut it to that. Let's okay. Say a 1957 <laughs> workshop manual. Um, it, it, it still Done. gives me nightmares to this day. Yeah. But um, it certainly would be something that, uh, yes, it, 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 I've still got it. Uh, yeah. It's a bit tattered, but um, it's a very interesting read. Yeah, I'm sure. And finally, movie. Are you going to go like an Australian classic, which I just rewatched the original Mad Max and Mad Max 2 uh, in the last week. Great movies, yeah, by you, the way. Sorry. You hit the nail on the head. Yeah, Mad Max would be would be certainly uh, you know <clears throat> the uh, I think it drifted away a little bit in the in the end on the last few you know versions, yeah. but the the original Mad Max movie certainly um, would be the number one for me. That's so good. Yeah, I love those. So that's great. Thank you very much for doing this. Thank you for you know getting up and doing this before work for you. And now I get to go home and, and have some dinner. But. Uh, uh, I appreciate this. Thank you very much for doing it. Thank you very much, Christian.